Hello and welcome to Asians Represent. I'm Daniel Kwan, and I'm one of your hosts. Agatha, unfortunately, could not make it to this recording session, so I am going to handle the discussion portion of the show myself. Now, you might be noticing something different about my voice. I am currently sick. I have, I have been sick for the past, uh, I would say, two to three weeks, and I'm slowly getting better. Um, and I kind of sound human now, so uh, that's why I've recorded this. Now, today's episode is a really interesting one. Our, our featured creator is Cleo Yunsu Davis. Now, Cleo is a game designer and interactive media writer uh, in the United States. Now, we wanted to get Cleo on because of my extreme love of K-pop. Now, during this episode, you'll you'll hear, you know, me gush about some of my favorite K-pop artists. My my favorite K-pop artist is Jay Park, like straight up. Uh, I think he's he's kind of transcended K-pop though. But um, we sat down to have a virtual discussion with Cleo uh, about their their game design work and specifically a, a game that Cleo wrote called "The Long Drive Back from Busan." Now. The Long Drive Back from Busan is a LARP. It's a game about ambition, sacrifice, found family, and of course, K-pop. This is a really interesting game. And if you follow me on social media at Daniel H. Kwan, you'll you'll see that I have become obsessed with live-action roleplay. After playing my first LARP at Metatopia, I've kind of become enthralled with the idea of just doing more LARPs. And, you know, this one combines both of my my newfound interest in LARP and, of course, my love of K-pop. Now, what I think is really good about uh, the long drive back from Busan is the fact that it's written for players of all ethnicities and genders. Hey, this is not a game where you have to be Asian to play it. And what I think is really good about this game, and, and we talk about this in the meat of the discussion, is that... Uh, Cleo has actually written a section in the LARP about how to navigate, you know, uh, playing as Asian characters if you are not Asian. This is probably one of the best written examples of how to do this. And I think the lessons that are found in this game are certainly applicable to any game that has an Asian setting where you would play as Asian characters. One of the the most common questions that uh, Agatha and I get, we get two really common questions. The first one is, uh, what do I do if I'm playing an Asian character? Uh, Well, if you're playing an Asian character, I I suggest you really read, you know, the long drive back from Busan. Uh, even though, you know, you might be playing a fantasy game like D&D uh, or, you know, like L5R, you know, the, the words in Cleo's writing are, are really powerful. The, the second question that Agatha and I get a lot is, hey, can you look at our work? Can you um, the, t- take a look at what I've written? You know, I, I really appreciate Asian culture and I would love to, and this is how it feels to me, I would love to get your stamp of approval. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with asking that question. There's nothing wrong, you know, asking us to take a look at your work. But but you have to realize that um, 
we, we can't just do that for free. You know, we are not here to, to validate your insecurities. Uh, Agatha and I are here to provide meaningful discourse, meaningful discussion about issues that, you know, Asians face in the tabletop gaming industry and issues involving depictions of Asian cultures. Okay. Um, so if you want us to work with you, if you want us to collaborate with you, if you want us to take a look at your work, by all means, you know, involve us in your project. Don't not, and I'm not just talking about Agatha, myself, or Jade. I'm talking about Asian creators in general. If you are one of those people who who isn't Asian but are championing for a more diverse TTRPG industry, this is how you can make a difference. This is how you can make change. This this is how you can make that space more diverse. Instead of simply just asking us to read your work for free, you know, involve us in, in your budget, no matter how small it is. Okay. This is how you have more Asian voices in the design process. Involve them in the design process. Involve them in production. So I just wanted to, you know, get that out there. Now, this is a, a really awesome episode. Cleo is incredibly talented, and they talk about their upcoming games, and I cannot wait. But I, I will save, you know, my gushing for, for the actual interview because I, I gush a lot in that interview. I have two more things that I want to ask you, the listener. Uh, the, the first one is to help Agatha and I out. Now, Agatha and I... And our new sort of podcasting partner who will be introduced in this month's bonus episode, unless you're a patron of the One Shot Network, um, we've, we've opened up a couple of different social media accounts. I have been solely responsible for the Asians Represent Twitter. Um, and I've also been solely responsible for the new Asians Represent Facebook. So we are trying to populate that Facebook space because that is a, a platform in which we think we can actually better engage with you. Okay. So that's facebook.com forward slash A-Z-N-S represent. And we're running a little contest. If you follow us on Twitter, like the Asians Represent page on Facebook, and leave a review on iTunes, we are actually going to pick one random person who does all three of those things and we'll run a game session with you for a module within a game system of your choice. We'll, we'll details forthcoming uh, that we're going to be running for an actual play. So that's going to be a lot of fun. It, you can be based in Toronto. You can be based anywhere in the world. We will make it happen, irregardless of time difference. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is... It's January 1st. That's when this episode drops. This is the first day of 2019 and the first episode of Asians Represent of 2019. And I want to share my gaming New Year's resolutions with you. And I don't have too many, um, but they are important to me. The first one is that I really want to play more board games. I desperately want to play more board games. And I'm going to change that with the, the first board game I'm going to play of 2019, and that's going to be Memoir 44. I have the, the rule book sitting next to me right now on my desk, and I plan on playing the crap out of this game. Okay. The second resolution I have is to paint more miniatures. I 
used to love painting miniatures and I love looking at people's painted miniatures, but I just haven't had the time to do it myself. And, and so I plan on doing more of that. My, my girlfriend, Sarah, and I, we, we plan on playing this game called Gaslands. It's a game where you take, you know, dollar store or cheap Hot Wheels cars and kit bash them with like pieces from like Warhammer and stuff and you make these post-apocalyptic death vehicles and it's a, sort of a war game about death races uh, so you make your cars and you paint them up and so I plan on painting more minis I'm also playing a lot more D&D in my personal life uh, so I plan on painting a lot more miniatures just for that and you know my, my GM for higher business and, and all that my third New Year's gaming resolution is to do more freelance work. I'm really enjoying the the you know the opportunities that have come my way. You know, I'm writing for Ryan Flummer's Flip Tales. I'm writing a bit for Robin Laws's uh, Yellow King Bestiary that's coming out, and a couple other projects you know in the works. And I really want to engage with with uh, some more. Fr- you know, uh, freelance writing and publishing my own stuff. I've got a fifth edition uh, module that I'm going to be publishing within the next uh, two months called Wolf of the South. And it is a uh, Three Kingdoms China inspired module that I'm writing with my writing partner, Patrick Keenan. And speaking of Patrick, that goes into my fourth and final New Year's resolution, my biggest one. And it's to launch the Ross Rifles Kickstarter. That's a big project if, you, if you've followed me on social and all that. But those are my four. You know, play more board games, paint more miniatures, do more freelance work, and kickstart my own product. Don't actually pay for the Kickstarter, but I, I mean put it up on Kickstarter. I kickstart so many games. Okay? And I want to actually put one of my own out on Kickstarter. So those are my four. And I want to know what your tabletop gaming, not just tabletop RPGs, but tabletop gaming New Year's resolutions are. So send them to us. I'm going to put up a uh, like a thread or something uh, on the Asians Represent Facebook. Okay, So head to facebook.com forward slash AZNS represent and let me know what your New Year's gaming resolutions are. Now, enough of that. We are going to I'm gonna I'm gonna cut into this interview with, with Cleo Yansu Davis, uh, game designer and interactive media writer in the United States. And we're gonna talk a little bit about the long drive back from Busan and many other games. But most what's most important about this interview is how to play as an Asian character if you're not Asian. So, 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 so enjoy that, and I hope 2019 is an amazing year for you. In honor of us doing this podcast, oh my god, I bought a six pack of Milkis. Oh my god, <laughs> I have. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Oh yeah, there you oh, go. Oh, that sound. Oh, that sound. Also because I just love Milkis, and this was like a really good excuse for me to buy some. And Agatha hasn't had it before. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm a Milkis virgin. Yo, open oh, this wow. up. It's so an experience. Is it, this is a peach. I got the peach That's one. That's the best kind. I know, right? Peach flavored drinks are just the literal best. Okay, I go. You just got milk is all over my laptop. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Um, I actually have a story about milk is from like early childhood because it was like the first. It was the first and only time I was in Seoul, 
uh, and they had like a vending machine with it or oh, some yeah? kind of like Milkus equivalent. It was essentially Milkus, though. It's like a yogurt soda. Yeah, uh, like a milk flavored soda, yeah. uh, which was totally like, whoa, to me at the time as like a five year old. <laughs> and I really wanted it. But my parents were like, it's milk in a vending machine that cannot be good for you that can't be good for you and so i couldn't have it so i was like oh my god like this was something i really wanted so now every time i see milkis i'm just like i have to have it because i was denied it as like a five-year-old i couldn't have it then so now as as an adult you're like well i'm gonna drink it every single time when i when i discovered milkis i found those those like one liter bottles oh my my god God. They, they were on sale once and i like i irresponsibly bought two of them I I I may be advancing towards diabetes because of it. I was gonna say that's like the tastiest way to get kidney stones. Oh yeah, so, wait, Agatha, have you tried it yet? Is this your first sip? Oh my gosh! Oh, it's really good. Oh, it's real good, right? Yeah. Oh, it's like it's like uh, what is it? Like the it's not yogurt, but like the you know those um, I don't know what they're called, but they're like small. They're like yeah, the little yogurt called- drinks. Yeah, 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 cult. Yeah, that's what it is. Except this it's is so peach good. flavored. Yeah, this is really good. We could do. We'll and do a different busy. milkus flavor every single episode now. Uh, yeah, we should really <laughs> get latte to sponsor. <laughs> Yo, we can get a like an Asian soda sponsor. That'd be hella dope. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about long drive back from Busan for a while. And when when Agatha and I were prepping, I kept saying uh, "train to Busan." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do over that and over still. again. And yeah. then, then in my head, I was like, "Wait, this is not an episode of, uh, about like Asian zombie movies. <laughs> this is this is about like the complete opposite." Yeah, pretty complete much. Opposite. But I, I I think I'm fascinated by you know your work. A because I have this LARPed for the first time. You know, uh, Metatopia. Yeah. yeah. And wow. B, I'm like super into K-pop. Like, Excellent. Like, like super into K-pop. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't say that I am in the K-pop. Um, I'm in the know about K-pop anymore. I, I had a time when I was really obsessed. And that was like during the glory years of DBSK. But mm. now that that's after they, you know, the whole drama with how they're disbanding and stuff Wait, went down. What, what drama? Oh, it's like it's like they're like uh, it's like drama with their the their company basically. Oh man. Where it's like contract stuff and they want to leave and then they're like slaves. Kind of. I yeah. think their contract was really bad. So and then two people stayed and then it was never the same. Never the same. Yeah. It's like when Jay Park left 2 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's really different. Yeah, so I'm like I'm like a giant Jay Park fan. Yeah, like I okay, follow cool. Jay Park on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had I had a a four hour like I had to drive for four hours today for work, mm-hmm. and I just listened to K-pop for four hours. Yeah, what's on your I playlist? Have, I don't have four hours worth of K-pop on my iPhone. What What did you play? Who, who I listened you? to a lot of BTS. Yeah, a lot of like old big bang mm. when they mm-hmm. were you know back when they were like like kind of problematic for the cultural appropriation right yeah for their fashion back when and there was a, a lot of dreads going on a lot of dreads yeah. um back when they did that maroon five cover 
They did? Yeah. Oh my they god. Did a, they did a cover <laughs> of This Love by Maroon 5. Oh. But like G-Dragon did like a rap and they were playing like they're playing basketball and like a chained off court and it's like they had some real problematic outfits. <laughs> um and then I was listening to um Icon. Yeah. I love Icon. Icon's I, so good. I also low-key still love icon but i only watch their like dance practice video because oh, so <laughs> their dancing is solid they're really yeah. in sync with each other you know yeah. what's good dancing 17 oh i love 17 is like yeah. probably my second favorite oh what's your first favorite <laughs> <laughs> you mean your favorite yeah. uh new sw right now oh damn okay, okay. they good they good yeah they're good. i agree i think what's i think 17 to me represents the pinnacle of k-pop because they have different divisions yeah they have oh, like yeah. a dance they're they're like there's like three units they're yeah. like they're literally like a military group They've yeah got like performance unit, unit. performance vocals rapping yeah it's true it's like oh what's the other one um the and they're all equally as like valued and adored which is interesting because you won't get that like here, it's not going to be like, oh, Ariana Grande's backup singers. We love them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, oh, my God. Taylor Swift's dancers. No, no it's, it's not yeah. the case. I guess that's true. The most you get is the attention to like Katy Perry's shark. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only equivalent. I forgot about that. Yo, that shark, though. <laughs> Yo, that shark was great. But like, 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 tell us about yourself. Like what what got you into to, to write the long drive back from Busan? Because like, uh, that's kind of like the starting point of this conversation. Yeah. So that was my first time ever writing for Golden Cobra. Um, I think I had only I've only been in the LARP world for about maybe three years ish. Um, and I had played a couple of Golden Cobra games prior to that year's contest. And I was like, oh, what can I possibly write that hasn't already been like written to death about? And also <laughs> what are the award categories? Cause that's kind of a good way I feel to approach golden Cobra is right. yeah, see what the awards are and see if you can design something like very <laughs> specifically for that. That's like yeah. when and you're I, writing your essays to get into university or college. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah pretty much. That's the most Asian thing I've ever said. <laughs> no, I think we all understand that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so they had the category or the award category that was uh, best game with meaningful non-romantic relationships. Mm. And I was like, mm. uh, I think it was literally a shower idea, which was like, oh, well, what about like a K-pop boy group? Yeah. Um, yep. And because it was just something I knew a lot about. And like I grew up with K-pop, not the fun K-pop that people kind of generally know about in the West now but old 90s k-pop that i kind of at the time got made fun of for because it wasn't cool in the western world at the time i think it only recently got cool yeah. what were the bands was it like got um so it was like well i was really into boa so oh yeah yeah boa is so super talented and she was so talented yeah and I'm so I her career is just fascinating to me. Like when she, when she was doing like produce 101 and stuff, and like just her role in that. Yeah, um, she's still relevant. She's still so relevant, and she's my yeah. hero. Uh, then there was this group that I want to say was called like Coyote, and I swear to God, like if you look up Coyote stuff on YouTube, the outfits are just so 90s. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and it's really like it sounds a lot more like American pop music. I I would say around that time. 
Like oh, okay. it's much more it's much more similar than it would be now. I think now it's kind of it's become its own thing. Yeah. But at the time it was much more kind of it was western sounding but then there was like this trot music influence. Like do you either of you know about trot music? No. <laughs> so nope. it's like this old fashioned Korean style of music that's been around for like forever. Um, and it has a special significance, uh, especially kind of like around World War II. And it's been it's kind of like what <laughs> I would describe it as like what old Korean people like to listen to, like kind of very traditional sounding, but mixed with like current ballad stuff and pop music. <sighs> oh, okay. I think I know what you're talking about. It's like the stuff that they always have at the karaoke yes. places, like mixed with the new stuff. There's always that. And there's like a lot of where you get to like hold long notes. And oh, like, yeah. Like, the Chinese music equivalent, it would be like Jackie Chung. I don't know if you know mm, him. Yeah. He's like he's he's like the the old school version of like Wang Li Hong, who so, I also love. So we just Googled Coyote. Um, it's, it's for the listeners, it's Coyote spelt with a K. Right, yeah. I always thought they were pronounced like Coyote, but Maybe. I don't I was like very young when Maybe. I was listening They're, to this. This is a Korean name, so I don't I don't know if they would adhere to the names that we use here. Right. Or the pronunciation that we use here. Yeah, yeah. Cause I definitely recognize this group. There is this there's this one photo right here, and one of the members looks like straight out of the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely like that style. Like they I don't know if you know the store Cyberdog in London, which is kind of forever stuck in raver culture, like no. two thousand one. <laughs> But I'm not that it's cool. very, it's very much in that vein. So you had this, so you had this shower idea, and you're like, okay, how can I win this? Kind of, yeah. I was also just really wanting to try. It was my second LARP I ever wrote, or my second freeform game. Uh, the first one being, but not tonight, which was kind of just breakfast club in a Fallout shelter. It's my elevator pitch for that. Uh, That's and a good I, one. It's it's an interesting one to run. Uh, but I wanted to explore something that I knew a lot about and was like passionate about and not just something that I felt would necessarily have mass appeal. Like I had no idea whether people would be into this or not. Um, because, and have people been into it? Yeah, it's. I think it's my most played game and I always hear about people running it oh, yeah. like way outside of my knowledge. Like I'll get messages much later on being like, hey, I just played Busan and I'll have no idea that someone was running it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's so really awesome. It's definitely taken on a life of its own. I've run it only two times, I think, myself. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, and the first time was after uh, I submitted it to Golden Cobra. Have Have you thought about you know trying to you know bring it back and promote it more now that K-pop has gotten like super popular with BTS in America? Yeah, I think that's actually one of the reasons why it's being run more in different in dif- at different cons. And I'm going to probably release it on RPG Drive through kind of soon. And there's been an updated nice. version since um, what was published. There's like a Golden Cobra anthology every year. So there's the original version that I submitted, which is like two hours long, seven players. Um, and that's, I think, just on the Golden Cobra website. And then I have another updated version, which is kind of better to run over three hours because it has eight players. And usually I get a full, I don't think I've ever run it with or heard of anybody running it with under eight players when they have the eight player version. Oh, wow. Damn. Um, and you kind of just have a little bit more time to experience all the drama at that yeah. length of time. Yeah. And so uh, we were, Daniel and I were talking about the, the like, cultural tips section of that game because mm-hmm. we're just like super into it it's like it's very 
gentle, but to the point. It's also probably the most important part of the game. Yeah. That was, I got a few messages from people being like, I would not have, white people, being like, I would not have felt comfortable playing this game had there not been that section. Uh, yeah, because I guess if you're a white person and you go and you read this game and it didn't have that section, the notes on playing a Korean, if you are not Korean, you'd be like, oh, I don't want to, I don't know if I'm going to say something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I that think, section really just encourages you, sorry, to uh, just speak as you normally would. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, like the things that sometimes you take for granted as because I always hear from well, not always, but like from certain designers, I always hear, oh, you need to trust your players to make good decisions and to be respectful. But sometimes it's like even if you do trust your players, things happen when someone gets nervous and LARPs and in role playing games in general, you're supposed to be talking a lot. And sometimes you're just talking and something slips out and it's not okay with everybody there. Yeah. Uh, and so generally I'd like to provide as much guidance as possible to prevent uncomfortable situations from happening, given you can't account for every single little thing that could happen um, or even yeah, some course. big things. Right. Cause like if you have a problematic player, there is only so much you as a designer can kind of do after it. I mean, cause it's up to the facilitator at that point to, follow the designer's notes about if you need to kick out a player for some reason yeah and it's great to just have that in the game already so then if someone is displaying problematic behavior you can point to that to be like hey you're literally breaking this this is the part of the contract of playing this game and that's why i'm kicking you out yeah. and that was definitely the section i was the most nervous about writing and it's also the section that i'm the proudest of um, just because i'm always a little bit worried about backlash on oh why, why are you telling me these things that should be obvious like i already knew that this is mm -hmm. condescending or like oh you're gonna break my immersion if you tell me not to break bow or not to say kimchi <laughs> or like not to like you know throw in random korean vocabulary that i know from my hours of watching k-pop videos uh and i it's like if people feel that way okay my game's like probably not for you <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you do a, a good job of saying like, look, this, the the focus of the game isn't on demonstrating Korean cultural knowledge. It's right. about, you know, role playing as people who are, are bound together by something. And in this case by music. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the strategy I try to use in general when giving cultural notes in a game where people are playing an ethnicity or from some kind of background that they're not actually from probably um, is that all the cultural information that you need to know should generally kind of be in the document so that people aren't reaching from places of like their knowledge via stereotypes, for instance, right? Yeah. So like in what other instances have you been providing cultural notes? Like, do you feel like from that first one, just in um, the right back from Busan, like has it gotten easier? And like what in what other context were you doing this for? Uh, so right now, I'm currently working on a game for a scenario for Festival, which is the it's like big gaming convention in Denmark mm -hmm. that's happening in April this year. I want to say, uh, and that scenario. So it's it's I'm, I call it scenario. I think technically it's a scenario. It's it functions very similarly to a freeform LARP or freeform game, and it's called The Truth About Eternity, and it's about kind of the future of ancestor worship in a semi-dystopian kind of black mirrorish setting where ancestors are in digital tombs. So the players are all going to be playing Korean characters and Korean American characters. 
And I want to provide, again, similarly to Busan, uh, just some guidance on how to do that without it becoming like a major thing that could potentially be a problem. Um, and after having written and designed Busan and seen it played a few times, I definitely feel a lot more confident about writing that kind of safety, the cultural safety section for this game, given it's kind of, it's a very different audience, like a Scandinavian audience. Mm-hmm. I'm going yeah. to need to provide additional guidance that I might think would be obvious maybe here. Like I'm definitely having a note in that one. That's like, don't do accents. <laughs> Just oh, yeah. Percent. <laughs> yeah. Well, 100%. It's interesting. Cause you have to kind of find this middle ground between at least from my perspective, being educational, introducing people to, you know, a very prominent part of contemporary Korean culture with K-pop and having them not, you know, portray those stereotypes at the same time. Right, yeah. And that that must be so challenging. One of the things I added to Bus- the Busan document that's kind of been updated is uh, a note on not kind of doing vicarious cultural appropriation, where it's like... With some of the stuff we were talking about with like Big Bang, some of their appropriation issues, trying to steer people away from doing that. So like, don't play a Korean who is then appropriating like African American culture. Yeah, um, like Big Bang. Yeah, like Big Bang, because it's again like not one of the issues that might most obviously come up. But when I thought about it, I was like, this could definitely happen. I need to add a note about this. Right. Yeah, I think Big Bang is the biggest sort of committer of that. There's definitely some more obscure stuff out there that's done like real bad shit. Oh, yeah. 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 I think it's just because Big Bang is like the most popular. popular. They're the biggest. They're, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So then it's very, they're very visible, I guess. Yeah. And they they try to be very forward and trendy. Mm -hmm. Like G Dragon's a fashion icon. Oh, yeah. They all kind of are. They're stylists. Oh, man. Yeah. They they should be making some big bucks. Then they started, and then they started getting tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and now they're all in the army. Oh, God, yeah. Well, one of them didn't one of them get out of the... They're all, like, switching places in the army, so it's hard to keep track of... Yeah, um, one of them got in trouble. Taeyang just got married. Oh, yeah, true. Oh, yeah. yeah. He got married to another, like, like an actress or a singer. Yeah, I think she's an actress. I don't know. Okay, now I feel like I am totally not out of the <laughs> No, you're loop. totally not out of the loop. Like, you, you, that's really recent. Oh. <laughs> I may or may not just have been Googling him recently. <laughs> preparing just like oh let's look let's look up Taeyang. oh his iconic wedding dress song <laughs> that, that song was so popular here yeah it was so popular here but you, you so you've got this you've got like these amazing projects about teaching people about you know korean culture and and how to larp more ethically which i think is really cool because when, when i did so i did my first larp at metatopia <laughs> and i had if anybody saw my social media i had a blast. So, so I did. Um, it's it's currently in alpha, but I I played um, Hope of Redemption um, by uh, Wen Reichel, mm-hmm. and I had no idea what to expect going in. Like before doing that, I had no idea what a LARP document even looked like. Uh. like yeah. So when Agatha like sent me you know, Busan, I was like, okay, what to expect? I was like, oh, this is way longer than I anticipated because mm-hmm. I expected to be like, okay, you're this, you're this, go because they're <laughs> so free form. Yeah. But this one has like, you know, there are rules. There are there are there are things that are appropriate to do, things that are you know inappropriate, and these are the scenes that kind of frame the the journey of Chord, this this band that you you wrote about. 
And I wasn't expecting that. And I think that's actually like, I think that's super cool. Yeah. And I want, like, I want to play this LARP. I want everybody to play this LARP. Yeah. Maybe we should do it at Breakout Con. I think we we were definitely going to play this at some point. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you more about the truth about eternity. So I didn't realize uh, when you first told me about it that it's also about playing Korean Americans. Um, but that's super cool. Is is there like, uh, what's your inspiration? So that one's, this is odd because like this writing this game has kind of brought up this question for me of like, is it responsible? Is it like emotionally responsible to write a game about a subject where like it's kind of emotionally devastating to you and you don't know whether you would be able to play it or run it successfully. Right. Uh, Cause it's very much about elder care and aging uh, in the guise of sci-fi. Uh, not, to, <laughs> not to say the sci-fi parts aren't like genuinely important in and of themselves, but it was very much like my way of tackling this theme of, of aging and elder care and family responsibility and guilt specifically kind of in, in a Korean family and a Korean American family. Uh, and it's been really weird trying to kind of write something that's so emotionally autobiographical without it being kind of literally autobiographical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I've like, it, my friend trolls was the one who he like messaged me one day and it was like, you know what, you should submit the festival. And I, I've never been to the festival. I've never submitted anything there before. Um, I don't even know if I have really paid, played too many festival games, but I was like, well, if he's telling me this, then sure, I'll do it. and then then, lo and behold i got it and now i'm faced with like writing this thing that's really it's meaningful to me and i'm having a really good experience with it but it's also just really hard to write um yeah i bet and i don't like it's gonna be really weird to watch people playing these characters who are kind of like at least the archetypes of them are kind of based on members of my family in a way oh wow that's that's real yeah so so you haven't run this game yet no i haven't even finished writing it yet oh wow that is yeah so you these two both of these two games um pusan and the truth about eternity seem to be very like personal games yeah i think i might not be capable of writing things that are just like yeah this is fun like it's can't disassociate yourself from (laughs) yeah i mean I guess there are some, I have a card game that's more in the line of like, yeah, this is just fun. It's still yeah, like, I want to wanna talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That old appointment. <laughs> I was just, I was, Agatha showed me this stuff you send her and I was like, what? Yeah, we were scrolling through the deck. <laughs> <laughs> the artwork is pretty fun. But yeah, it's like, I don't know whether it's some weird impulse of like, I need to do a self exorcism and that's why I'm like writing about these heavy topics. <laughs> but it's it also just feels again kind of like oh i haven't seen a game touch on this before so obviously there's a space for it and if i can create the game that fits in the space then i probably should try to yeah so in the like two times that you ran pusan like how did it feel watching people play it i mean i i I know that that's a lot more distant because they're playing uh boy band members and you're not a part of a boy band but like that's because it's so personal to you. Like what was it like watching other people kind of experience it? Was it similar to how you wanted it to be experienced or? Yeah, I think like the first time, um, the, the first time I run any game that I've designed, 
I have this issue of I'm I've envisioned the way it's going to run. And Mm -hmm. I and I so I have this image in my head of like how everything is going to play out and like, oh, here are some lines that clearly this character will be likely to say or something in that vein, at least. Uh, And this is how this character will act. But everybody, they take a character and they kind of make it their own, even if they're sticking to the bones of it. Right. Um, So I need I need to at some point during the course of running a game for the first time, detach a bit from my vision of it. Um, and just, especially because I have facilitation anxiety when it comes to running games, let alone mm. when it comes to like running a game that I designed, because then my question is, am I facilitating this wrong or did I design it wrong? <laughs> what did I do? Right. Uh, which of the two is it? And that, once I, it is stressful. And like, once I detach myself from any specific outcome or like seeing people hit beats that I thought were going to be natural for them to hit then I have a really good time. And if I see people are having a good time, at least, then I have a really good time. It's kind of like when I was in film school, we would have these screenwriting classes where we would kind of cast the other people in the class to read out the char- lines of the characters mm-hmm. and someone to read direction. And the first few times you do that, it's nerve wracking and you're just blushing the entire time and you want to faint because someone people are reading your work out loud and you're not used to it. But then there's kind of this exhilaration that comes with it. It's like, I created this thing and these other people are bringing it to life and it's amazing and it's really magical. And once you kind of hit that point, then it's pretty much good from there on out. Right. I think it's just a matter of getting used to seeing people engage with what you create. Yeah. Yeah. And this is so different from just writing fiction or even writing for film because because it's always different. People interact with it on such a personal and much uh, uh, on a personal level and they have so much more creative control over it. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like the LARP that I, I mean, my only point of reference on LARP <laughs> is the one that I played <laughs> and I played like a guitarist in a punk band right. who shouldn't have been in that punk band because he's a guitarist. <laughs> well, I mean, punk, right? New punk. I see that band play. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, it was about a band breaking up. Literally when my character arrives, the band breaks up and I'm torn between both of them. Wow. Betraying them. <laughs> <laughs> my character was like, I didn't know what to expect. It was, it was interesting because I think one of the things that like you mentioned is, is like being vulnerable, mm-hmm. like, you know, accessing that part of your past and your present to write about these games. And then also watching people play them and yeah. like inhabiting these characters or, wondering whether or not the framework you've provided enables problematic behavior or is too restrictive of freeform play. Mm-hmm. Like when I LARPed, like, and I loved it for the first, like, I want to say like two to five minutes, I just stood there. Like, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's no table <laughs> be- between the, the rest of the players and myself that I can like awkwardly, like, just like sit at. Yeah. There are no dice that mediate uncertainty. Like, Literally, you have to go and you have to act. Yeah. And I don't mean act as in like in theater. You have to go and you have to do something. Yeah. Yeah. And doing something when you don't know the consequences and you don't really know the structure is so scary. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't, you, you don't want to, you know, say something in, in polite. You don't want to, you know, hurt somebody's feelings. You don't want to completely derail the story, especially with something freeform. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. stakes feel so high when when at least when i was larping yeah. it took me a while because like i don't think i really got what ca- what i wanted my character to be mm. until like 20 minutes in right mm-hmm. that's so, like, even it, relatively early i think to get it for some games 
Oh, I mean, my character was not complex. <laughs> like my character was like, you know, I, I was like, okay, this is like, I, I like punk music. And I was like, well, how do I get my character into this? I guess uh, my character was uh, studying jazz piano at the conservatory and didn't like how technical everything was in the school <laughs> and wanted to be creative and left. And then I took my guitar and I found a punk band and I idolized the, uh, the one of the lead singers who is, you know, just free and creative. And that's what I wanted. And that was my character as basically Jimmy Jr. from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I just came to that realization right now. Yeah. But it but it's like after that I was like, man, I want to write a LARP. You should. You definitely should. it's easier than I, I well, I won't generalize, but actually I want to generalize that it's easier <laughs> than you would think it is cuz I remember oh god, the I mean, but not tonight, which was the first LARP I wrote. I made it so it's I am very proud of it and I'm happy with it as it is, but I jumped into writing like a really complicated LARP before doing like a simple golden cobra four page one and that's not the order in which you should do things but if you start with kind of like a golden cobra sized assignment i think that's the way to go well i was i was about to say that i didn't start writing a lot because i was like i have like this is so terrifying yeah like you know i've written like a ton of like D modules and i like i write like like multi-year campaigns for like not just D but other rpgs and like those are easy to do, but like uh, because you oh, know, yeah, what no the, sweat. you know, you know, I know. <laughs> I just see this is the opposite. Cleo's like, Cleo, you're all like, oh, it's you can you can write a LARP, it's easy. And I'm like, no, 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 it's so hard. Write a multi year D and D campaign. <laughs> but like for for me, it's the the lack of structure, like not knowing the lack the, of control, the mean? lack of control. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's a lot less structure than in a D and D campaign, mm-hmm. right? And like. What do you do? Like, I honestly don't know. And but like, after reading Busan, I was like, oh, that's that's like a that's more structured than I thought it would be. Like I said earlier, so I was like, I can kind of maybe I could do it. But but it's honestly like it's inspiring seeing seeing you do this work. Yeah, and I'm, like, so you are writing an interactive fiction game for choice of games. What does that mean? Oh, so that's so that's interesting because it's not technically an analog game it's a digital game but it's very influenced by analog games um like like zork kind of yeah like it's very except for i'd say like more i don't want want to sound pretentious but i'm gonna say more literary (laughs) (laughs) like it's it's much more like i I don't know if i'd call zork an interactive novel (laughs) i had a zork notebook to remember everything that i did Zork, I also, I don't know, like, it's been all given, it's been like a real long time, like, not since undergrad. Like, it was an assignment in class to play Zork. Um, and oh, I don't I remember it, it super well. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I would have enjoyed it also if I'd like just approached it on my own. But yeah, it's, um, so essentially, it's an interactive novel, which is about what it sounds like. So it's kind of multiple choice dialogue options uh action options things like that and choice of games specializes in just games like this so there's no graphics or sound or anything like oh wow just yeah text. it's just text just like zork yeah wow. have uh, you played zork before i haven't so it's like old school visual novels yes it's, i mean there's, there's no visuals it's just text okay yeah that's yeah. true but old school visual and novels you just barely. And zork, you, you like <laughs> typed in commands 
and then you would progress through the story. Oh, snap. Yeah, it's intense. You can get it on your phone. You can so, Zork on your phone now? Yeah, you can get Zork on your phone. Oh, man. So is is that what you're writing as well? So, yeah. I mean, so more that's my main... Yeah, well, that's the main project. <laughs> yeah, that's the main thing I'm working on now, and I've been working on that for about a year. It's just like a massive... The word count is massive. I think I've written like three novels worth of words. I mean, that's code included, but like if I just copied and pasted everything from the game into a word document it's like what? three novels worth right now what are you coding in uh it's choice script they have their own uh scripting language oh that's so cool yeah so, wait, you so you said you went to film school did you do like computer science as well uh so for grad school i went to the interactive telecommunications program at nyu which is also part of tish which is like their art school so uh, okay. we kind of joke of like what's itp how do we explain it to our friends and family like what did we do for two years um and it's, it's basically a combination of engineering and art school. So there's coding and physical computing, but then there's like a whole plethora of art classes. And I focused on game design and also basically immersive theater and just any kind of form of interactive storytelling that I could do there. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it was it was fun. And I met a lot. I met my business partner there, Vicky Ho. We have um, Janitor Interactive together. I met Sharong Biswas there, uh, who I collaborate with all the time we were just on a panel together at pax unplugged actually yeah i, um, I yeah. wish i could have been there yeah we all yeah. wanted to go to pax <laughs> i really wanted to go the video for that is luckily at least on youtube but i think we might try to do more panels like that in the future and you two should definitely be on them yes. yeah I, I wanted to go to pax unplugged but i, I chose metatopia instead mm-hmm. for selfishly for design work <laughs> Oh yeah, so selfish. So selfish. <laughs> Gotta do it for my design business. But like, but like, yeah, I went to Pax and Plug last year, and I, I really want to do it. And oh I yeah, really want to do it next year. I mean, Agatha, you gotta, you haven't even gone to like any of those big cons outside of Toronto. Nope, I've so, only been to Breakout. So, so we gotta like make it happen. Next year is uh, gonna be a lot of traveling. We're going all out. Yeah. So then, do you see a lot like a potential for more? <laughs> crossover between like like video not video but like analog and i guess video games or not analog i don't know digital digital yeah Yeah. thank you you. yeah i think so like it's hard to like i'm trying to think of ones i've seen that are well done um i've saw a lot of people trying to do a combination of um often it's and this is like back in undergrad so i barely remember these projects but they would have a board game but there would be some kind of app aspect to it and i saw one at pax unplugged that i was basically unconscious with exhaustion so i didn't really uh, get a good look at it but sharon mm-hmm. was playing it and he said he liked it and it used a phone app along okay. with like, a board game I don't remember. It has to do with like Magic Academia, though. So if oh, okay. about that, yeah, um, I've got a I've got a demo for an augmented reality board game on my counter right there. Mm. I haven't tried it out yet. Right, we probably should. We yeah, should. I, th- I think yeah. there's a lot of potential there, but it's also one of those things, kind of like with virtual reality, where it's people get really excited, but it's hard to figure out exactly what you can do that's really going to take advantage of that technology. Yeah. And like what yeah. like really calls for it and justifies using it and trying to make it not super clunky and just like gimmicky, basically. 
Yeah, that's true. And I guess right now for a lot of people, the co- it's just probably just prohibitive because of the cost. Well, I think yeah. it's, it's if, if you want to make a video game, making something like an interactive narrative game is actually fairly low cost. Oh, yeah. Like the entry point is really accessible. And, I, and that when you say like important narrative games, I immediately thought of um, Depression Quest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the most important narrative games like of, of recent. And it's so unfortunate what happened to Zoe from that. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you know about that? Agatha? I don't know anything about this. I've been giving you a blank stare all this time. Do you know about uh, Do you know about Gamergate? Uh, I have heard of the term. Yes. So uh, basically, like uh, Zoe Quinn, who is the designer of Depression Quest, mm. the uh, kind of uh, you know, journalists and you know their relationship and connection to the game and you know public perception of you know the designer mm-hmm. all like contributed to this like terrible thing that the internet did mm. uh but the que- depression quest is this really interesting like low-key narrative game about you know being depressed mm. it's, it's really good interesting yeah it's real different from any other video game uh-huh. right so yeah because i what i think really fascinating i feel like um having overlap from like the digital game perspective with like analog games is a little easier to imagine versus the other way around. Like, for example, like how do we have, like how do we incorporate tech into let's say like tabletop games or like LARPs, like Mm -hmm. how, where does that factor in? I always find really fascinating. I mean, you could, I mean, D and D they have D and D beyond and they've made the subject material it was certainly more accessible to people. Mm-hmm. They've, they've done things like you could have tabletop, like you could use a screen and make it your tabletop. Right. Uh, with a LARP, I don't know if people already do this or not, but I mean, the, the first thing that I thought of was like, if you're the facilitator, you could be texting people mm. things that are happening in the game. I've actually done that with a couple of games I designed. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my grad, actually, speaking of uh, inter, uh, ITP at NYU, my grad thesis was kind of this hybrid escape room uh, immersive theater project. It oh was about like a, yeah, it was about like a two hour experience, and I just I just did a prototype. It wasn't like available to the public oh, or we anything. Should, we should have had Jade here. Yeah, because one of our guests, she literally designed an escape room. That, that's oh, her sweet. job. I love but, escape rooms. Yeah, but so. So there's texting in this game? Yeah, so I was running it kind of as an NPC. So I'd have all the players or the participants uh, in the room itself where all the puzzles are. And then I was kind of playing this NPC who would give clues and interact in character with the players. Um, And it was like her sister had gone missing. And it was all about like the American Civil War. And so she, I was playing this character who was out there in the world looking for her sister who had disappeared on the Civil War sightseeing trip. And the players are friends who she's called in to kind of go explore her sister's apartment to look for clues. Uh, So I had to be in character for those two hours, also controlling all the like tech stuff that happened in the room um, and trying to get non-LARPers to LARP with me. And they all did. (laughs) Nice. I do that uh, for D&D when like I'll, I'll text the players at the table if um they come in and maybe it's something that their character based on their like their passive wisdom only their character would notice mm. without drawing attention to it i'll like text them mm, that's smart and then, and then they could bring it into the narrative if they want and like it keeps everyone immersed oh interesting yeah yeah like, that, that's one way you could bring tech into your tabletop yeah i guess as tools 
Um, he has tools. It would be really interesting to see how tech is tech gets incorporated as like game elements more than just. Yeah, tools, and but. I feel that maybe that's something that I mean for like traditional RPGs, that's it's always just going to be a tool. Like yeah, it's going to be fair. a virtual dice roller. It's going to uh-huh. be a place where you can get your books. Yeah, it's never part of your character because. If you have that, either everybody's ha- going to have to use the same app, an mm. app of some sort, mm. or everybody's going to have to use the same phone, and it becomes inaccessible that way. Yeah, I, I, what I'm thinking of is like there are some online LARPs where you specifically play it online. Oh. So then you're like, I think there's one where um, you're all oh, I don't remember what it's called, but it's like you're all specifically communicating with each other online, and sometimes right. people have to go dark. And damn, yeah, like where like when you're not on, you have to turn your screen off so that mm-hmm. people can't see you. And I, I think that is really fascinating mm-hmm. because that actually brings an, another level of immersion that you wouldn't think about when you think about online gaming. That's really cool. Or playing yeah. online or LARPing. Yeah, yeah no, like, ch- I th- oh, God, I want to call it Chariot. I think it's called Chariot. It's Tara Clapper's game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's one of those online LARPs where everyone is in character, but remotely. And that also is specifically really good for LARPers with any kind of mobility issues or disabilities where they like they need to stay home, but they still want to LARP. Um, and that's just like it's creating opportunities for people who might not be able to like go out there in the physical world, either at that time or per- potentially ever pretty much. Yeah. Um, and making it more accessible. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's one of the things about LARP. It's you have it there you have to participate, like physically be there. But I guess now there are there are others that let you be there virtually. Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah. So we want to talk about Battle of the Boy Bands. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a on a on a lighter tone. Oh, I yeah. really want to know about this project that you're working on. Yeah, but I feel like I've been working on it forever like it's it's been maybe three years just since it started as like a very simple prototype Mm -hmm. um and so now actually we're gonna be published i think in the coming year uh by game and a curry which is banana chan's company yeah Uh, we're gonna try to have banana on the uh on the podcast yeah i heard i think banana's like art the contact the episode after this one maybe yeah cyberpunk shortly after yeah uh, we just had a fun cyberpunk uh, photo shoot during PAX Unplugged. So, of course, <laughs> it was this real goofy. All the fun stuff. <laughs> I'm sure we could try to replicate it somewhere else. <laughs> so good, but yeah, this is. Um, so I say it's like a, just a fun game, but it's also kind of a scathing critique of the K-pop industry. <laughs> <laughs> um, in a fun way, though. It's a fun critique. It's a fun critique. Fun scathing critique. Um, but yeah, it's it's very again like we were talking about seventeen earlier. It's very seventeen inspired in that yes. there are image types and talent types for each boy. So the image types are like, what's your look like? What's kind of the theme you're going for? Are you youthful or are you rebellious or are you futuristic, <laughs> supernatural or emo? Um, and you have to. There's like some special events that come up, and you're trying to make these boy bands to compete in these events against the other players bands and there's a lot of sabotage involved uh and then like the talent types are you're a singer you're a rapper you're a dancer you're just a hottie um i say just a hottie as if that's not often like the most important i know eh? yeah (laughs) so it's very like units like yeah and there's a card that makes you like you can get an extra talent for a little while at least oh that's so cool 
Yeah. That's so cool. I'm suddenly really good at dancing, but only for this week. <laughs> only, only for this week. That goes away. You got one move and yeah. it only works with one song. Yeah. That's so great. So so what is the critique? <laughs> it's well, it's, yeah, I mean, the sabotage stuff is generally kind of where that comes in. Like the boys are very dispendable and you're kind of trying to always trade up any throwaway boys in order to get better boys that are going to fit your new image. And Oof. you're very focused on just like what's going to serve me as a producer because all the players are playing music producers um, right. rather than like what's good for my boys and people say the word boys so many times when playing this and it starts to just sound like boys. if you say fork a million times over and it doesn't make sense anymore right um boys just takes on a whole life of its own as a word so so it really talks about that 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 cutthroat almost dispensable nature of you know idols yeah in asian music not just in korea yeah not yeah. definitely not just in Korea. Definitely not just in Korea. That's really cool. Like I want to play this game. The same. Yeah. Like <laughs> like we should we should live stream it. Yeah, we were oh, looking man. at the cars and I 100% I would love that. Want the supernatural deck. <laughs> like like when when you get this ready, like just like we'll we'll play it. We'll oh yeah, I'll definitely it. send you a copy. I would love for you to play. <laughs> it. I want to play this game. Like we'll 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 play some K-pop in the background. Oh my gosh. My playlist. <laughs> right. We'll go I, man. Your 3 hour long playlist. No, it's not 3 hours long. It's like it's like an hour. Oh, okay. I'll send you my like 3 days long playlist. <laughs> <laughs> They're all my favorites, only the singles, only the hits. Only the singles. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, only the singles. That that's super cool that you you've, you know, taken, you know, Korean culture and integrated them into these games. Like I I really admire that. Thank you. You like that mean that actually like that means like a lot to me because I feel like sometimes I've tried to like look for feedback on that, but sometimes with like a predominantly white audience, it's kind of like crickets sometimes, just right. like on that specific matter. Um and I try to make Battle of the Boy Bands still accessible to audiences who aren't familiar with K pop. Like it's K pop inspired very heavily, but there's still yeah. kind of like there's in sync references very subtle there's some like one directiony kind of things in there just like right. in, in some of the art of the cards um yeah, i know it's not all of them look like korean yeah, yeah. Not all of them look asian yeah I, and I, I like i like that more about the game because yeah. uh you know people might come from i'm just thinking about fictional fictional bands people might come from other countries to go join them which is yeah. true that's and like I tried to. Oh <laughs> well, is okay. <laughs> He's Korean American. He's Korean American. We went back to America. Okay. <laughs> After he said some things about Korea, or or so everybody thought, he said. Didn't he though? The drama. He did, but everything was like taken out of context okay. and mistranslated. Okay, we got a real fanboy. Over and then here. he came back <laughs> and just like, look, first like Asian. I think he's the first Asian American to be signed to Rock Nation. Oh yeah, and he has um, this like really good song with two chains called Soju. Yeah, his songs are they're right. I, I like them. <laughs> I think there's there's this really cool thing going on in like North American music that I I wish more people knew about, and I think like this is why I'm excited about your games, Cleo, because you know, they give me a reason to talk about them. Yeah, right. that's true. There's this like American music label called Eighty Eight Rising. I don't I don't know if you've heard of them. That sounds vaguely familiar, but I can't so, quite place so it. So 88 Rising uh, is uh, an American music label that has a predominantly Asian roster. Mm. So they have like Joji, who's, I think he's half Japanese. Mm. They've got uh, Rich Brian. Uh, 
I, yeah, I get those just like blank stare. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rich Brian, who's from Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I think is really cool is they have like a group called the Higher Brothers. And the Higher Brothers are from Chengdu in China. Oh, shit. I love Higher Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> they're so good. So, they're so good. <laughs> right? And so Higher Brothers and are on this, on this label, 88 Rising. And it's really cool because they're bringing Asian artists into the American mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think that's awesome. They like, they do like collaborations with like Sean Evans and hot ones, like on first we feast, like mm-hmm. higher brothers were on first we feast mm. and never would you expect like a mainstream Asian musician to be on like a popular like show like that. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's really cool. And then now we're seeing that with these games, like, you know, game in a curry, they make you know, block wars, judge dread. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's some cool shit. And now that they've got this, like this boy band game, you've got this boy band game coming out through them. And that's going to bring, you know, subtly bring, you know, Korean culture to analog gamers. We're going to look at this. We're going to be like, oh, what else has Cleo done? Yeah. Whoa, Busan. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Like, let me try that. Let me take what I've learned, you know, very subtly. Cause you, like you said, it's not just Korean. Yeah. And bring that into Busan. And so it's almost like a primer to do this LARP, which is like the next step up. <laughs> yeah. That's kind up. of how I've been thinking about it a little bit. Like, oh, you've tried Battle of the Boy Bands. Well, are you ready for this? <laughs> are you ready for this? <laughs> yeah. Right? And that that's super cool. So yeah. are you are you folks going to just go straight into production or are you going to crowdfund it? Oh, we're going straight into production. We're going to do like small print run, I think. Nice. Well, I, I'm like... I'm down to like throw money at that. Yeah, same. <laughs> it's funny because like we brought it to Gen Con uh, to like the double or the what do you call, uh, double exposures thing, which is the first exposure playtest hall. Yeah. Um, and like we were looking because after it's it's gone through a lot of changes over the years, so I was like, let's get some kids in here to play it, see whether it's still like accessible to kids. And <laughs> even though we were like explicitly looking for that, we kept getting adult men who wanted to play it the most (laughs) (laughs) well if you want if you want to test it with kids i mean the museum i've got that oh yeah yeah you've got access i've got access to kid play test i mean like it's always interesting to you know bring in games and try to reach into the the educational value of them Mm -hmm. because when i when i see this sort of i want to see busan or when i see you know the boy band card game I think, well, this is a great way to teach people about, you know, friendship, about loyalty, um, you know, about Korean culture and how we can appreciate these things without reducing them to stereotypes. Right. And that is so incredibly valuable. Yeah. And that's what all that. And I mean, this whole I mean, we've been talking for 50 minutes now, and that's what this whole 50 minute conversation has been. It's about teaching people through games, you know about respect and how to respect these cultures uh, and how to game and engage with them ethically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think I, one other thing that I find really valuable is that it's giving people the opportunity, like giving them a safe space and a controlled space to kind of experience um, a, uh, for most people, a different culture without it being, you know, again, like a lot of stereotypes, like, you're kind of experiencing in a very, very limited way what it might be like to be a part of this boy band. That's mm-hmm. and like with that, like a part of the Korean culture, that's even if it's just minute, there's something about how it's 
you're kind of playing like a mundane life, even though there's a lot of drama that happens, but it's just this person's life. And that is really valuable because then it's not just like, oh, some, I don't know, something in the distance, some people in the distance, but it's like, I've experienced a, a very, on the surface level, part of this life, but I now I feel more connected to it on a human level. Yeah, because they're more than just these products that that these entertainment companies push out. There, mm-hmm. there are human beings behind these and they suffer from trauma just like we do. Yeah. yeah. The timing of things is so interesting because like I so Busan won the Golden Cobra Award for um, non best. I always get the order of words for this mixed up the non romantic relationships award. Um, And then not too long after that, Jung Hyun from Shiny committed suicide. Yeah. And like that. So I was I've been a huge Shiny fan for a really, really long time. And like that really specifically also because I wrote Busan like that hit me really hard. Like I'm not usually that affected by celebrity deaths. It's like the two ones I could think of that really hit hard were David Bowie and Jung Hyun. Um, and it was, I had really weird emotions about Busan after that. Right. Like, did I tackle this right? Like, am I, did I do too shallow of a job? But like, it's hard for a game that's supposed to be two hours, right? You can't touch on everything and it does no. touch on mental illness, but only as far as you can in a two-hour experience. Of course. Maybe maybe uh, you have to do a follow-up or something. I've been considering <laughs> but, it. Yeah. Oh. I mean, it would be interesting now Now that K-pop are popular. I mean, people would people would back that. Yeah, I think people would definitely for sure play it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it's interesting how you say, like, you know, you know, when a celebrity dies and you're kind of attached to their material, it has, like, an effect on you because it, A, like, humanizes them mm-hmm. in, a, in a really tragic way and and makes you reconsider their work yeah right? like yeah. For, for me i think the the two biggest celebrity deaths that have impacted me were anthony bourdain mm-hmm. and chester bennington right yeah so like when anthony bourdain like passed away like kitchen confidential is like one of my favorite books mm-hmm. yeah and i've watched all of his material and he had like a really big effect on me because you know i spent you know, like actually, I spent like the majority of my twenties you know, traveling around the world and trying different foods. Mm-hmm. I, I when people would ask me what I do, I'd be like, "Well, it's like Anthony Bourdain, <laughs> but without the fame and without the TV crew." <laughs> um, and so that really hit me because you know Anthony Bourdain taught us, you know, to respect other cultures, yeah, yeah. and view them from you know a relative perspective, and don't judge them, and not to judge them through the the lens of our own culture. Which mm-hmm. is what you're essentially doing with your games. Yeah. And then Chester Bennington was was a big one for me because I've been a Lincoln Park fan since since I can remember. Yeah. Right, yeah. And Lincoln Park was really the first time, whether we realized it or not, one of the first times that we saw Asian musicians in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, oh my God. Two members of Lincoln Park are, are Asian. Yeah. And, like, and they're prominent members, like they're DJ and Mike Shinoda, who's like a well-respected artist and rapper. Yeah. And for me, it was like, whoa, like I could see, I saw Asian musicians killing it. Yeah. Like before, you know, Higher Brothers were here, before mm-hmm. like K-pop got really big here. Because mm-hmm. I only knew about like K-pop and J-pop and, and Mando pop uh, through my high school friends. Right. Like that's how I learned about BOA. Mm. Mm-hmm. This episode really took me back. Yeah. Oh man. Now I'm gonna go home and listen to some Boa. So if you were to write a follow up, 
what do you think you might write it about? So if there was, I've been pushed by all my friends to have it be a K-pop trilogy where I have Battle of the Boy Bands, uh, Long Drive Back from Busan, and then potentially another interactive fiction game or a Powered by the Apocalypse game that's about idols. I was um, literally just thinking about my that. My gosh. Because you have your stats, you would have your moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm really, really tempted to do that. Um, well, if you want help. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I've been like, it's still, my ideas for that are still like very early stage because my life has been very dedicated to choice of games lately. Of course. Um, but it's really pretty high on my priority list for things that will take priority after when choice of games. About, like Apocalypse World, that that system lends itself well to story games. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. And to like genre-specific ones as well. And there are very few Powered by the Apocalypse games that represent Asians. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Mendez just had his Kickstarter successfully funded. Yeah, that's uh, true. And that was that was while we were at PAX. Um, yeah, I think was it? Yeah, it was while we were at PAX. Um, so that was exciting. That was really exciting. It ha- yeah, it happened during the recording. Yeah. of the episode we did with Derek. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fine. Yeah. yeah. Like literally during during it, he hit the exact number. Yeah, we were talking about it in progress and then at the end of the episode we were like oh oh snap. you just got funded <laughs> yeah so so it's like mendez has that one and uh, i'm working on mine yeah you, you'll be working on yours in the future <laughs> right? this is this is like a new wave not if will will yeah. right this is new wave of rpgs that are teaching people about asian culture and asian history yeah and yeah. like in a fun way not like in a like let me hit you over the head with some info well, right that's why, that's why you know k-pop is such a good medium and such a good subject matter because it's it can be fun for people because people associate it with fun and entertainment yeah it's true mm-hmm. and then when you dive into it you realize that it's far more multifaceted than you expect yeah yeah oh my god it's over thanksgiving he will never listen to this so this is fine because he's like off in singapore and doesn't know anything about games but my uncle was here from singapore (laughs) he's korean but he lives in singapore uh and he tried to like mansplain the k-pop industry to me oh my gosh Uh, excuse me and he doesn't like you know i know i've done so much research into this industry and i like consume it as a fan as well so i have two sides of that covered um and he was like sitting there mansplaining it to me and then my mom was telling him about like these games i've made and he was <laughs> and he was like oh well maybe you don't want to actually like explore those themes because I, nobody actually wants to hear about like the dark side of the industry they just want to have fun with it they don't want to hear any of that and i'm like well jokes on you i already won an award for a game about <laughs> jokes on you take that punk. well yeah. i think i think the the dark side of it is what's compelling i think it's what's interesting it's what humanizes the characters is what gives people the opportunity that's dark role plays them but it's true that's very dark i mean that's that's why i like it i think it's definitely something that's really i mean one of the things with jung hyun's death was like people kind of for a lot of fans it was like the first time they really realized how yeah. intense like the mental health situation like the complete denial of mental health even being a thing that needs to be talked about <laughs> in south korea is in a lot of times and like that's something that's also personally affected my family um just because you know my grandparents being coming from South Korea didn't have, they don't, no one ever really talked about that, you know, in their era, at least when they were there. Yeah. So they don't have yeah. the vocabulary to talk about that. Like they literally don't have the vocabulary in some cases. No, no, I, I completely understand that. That actually very recently within the past two months have happened to me too, 
like a, a colleague in Korea. Mm. Uh, I had mm-hmm. a colleague in Korea. He he took his life um, because of because of work. Yeah, because of, like the pressures of work and you know his family and and he's and he's Canadian and he's not and he's he's a white Canadian who was living in Korea. Yeah, Jeez. it's 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 heavy stuff. And yeah. I mean, like, like not to be a downer, but like these these are themes that can be explored, you know, safely through games. Yeah. And I think it's really important to explore them. And sometimes I feel that people have this gut reaction to games as a medium where they're like, oh, well, games are frivolous. Maybe they're not saying this exactly, but they're very influenced by this thought that games are for fun. Games are frivolous. They're like an unnecessary thing and they're just like their play things essentially. So how dare you try to tackle these really serious themes uh, via games. And I feel like I feel similarly to that. It's like asking, well, why would you write a play about this? Or why would you write a book about this or make a movie about this? I don't think that there is any experience or topic that should just be completely awful. I mean, obviously there's going to be some kind of exceptions, but like generally there's nothing that should just be off limits because we're talking about a game. I think our idea of what a game is as like in kind of more mainstream culture needs to change a lot. Yeah. Um, Especially at least in the U S I know in different places, games are kind of taken more seriously or they have a wider, broader understanding of what a game can be. I think in the U S we're generally still trying to (laughs) explain to non gamers what we when we say game, we're not necessarily meaning something that's just like ha ha fun. Yeah, let's laugh. Ha ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think you know with with that being said, you know we're we're talking about mental health and all that. And if if you're listening to this, we're we're not also trying to say that like you know games are going to be the cure to to what you're experiencing. If you're experiencing you know significant distress and you need help, like like reach out to somebody, seek professional help. Mm-hmm. You know, take all the necessary steps. Game games are there to help you, um, but but there are institutions and resources that that are there for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, this is this was a really powerful episode of Asians Represent. Yeah, and I think this. I don't know about you, Agatha, or or, or you, Cleo, but th- this went to you know uh, an emotional realm that I'm really happy we went to, but I was not expecting it. Yeah, yeah. It's, these games they're they are powerful yeah so if, if people want to you know see progress on your games you know get your games where can they find you online yeah so i have my website which is kind of generally my hub for everything which is just cysdavis.com um i'm also on twitter i'm a really bad twitter user i'm trying to get better at like figuring out how to be a twitter user oh, you seem pretty active <laughs> that's very recent. We, we were chatting today on twitter yeah that was this is me trying really hard to understand how to use twitter you're doing uh, a great it, job my account was like dead for years but i am at cys davis there i'm also cys davis on instagram pretty much everywhere i'm cys davis um and then i'm gonna have busan up on RPG drive through soon. I'm just going to get like a graphic designer to make it look pretty. Sweet. Um, and hey, have for that up there. Uh, it's drivethroughrpg.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, but RPG. Also, uh, we're going to be, we're, we're both not technically stretch goals for flip tails, but we're like complete, like if flip tails gets funded, then 
Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, you you and I, uh, Cleo and I, are both writing stories for our our pal Ryan's game, Flip Tales. Um, unfortunately, I think this this episode will be up after Flip Tales' oh. Kickstarter run. Mm. Is, so we'll see. Uh, it's gone, but ho- fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, even then, like play flip play. Blah, blah, blah. Go on Twitter, follow Play Flip Tales. Cleo and I are both writing stories. It's a like a light, like the complete opposite of what we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's like lighthearted, rules light, like fantasy narrative game. Yeah. Yeah. I, for- yeah. I forgot that you and I are both doing that. I know. I was like thinking about that earlier. And then I saw, I was like the Flip uh, Tales uh, Twitter account and I was looking through it and I was like, oh, wait, yeah, this is a thing that we're doing together. Yeah, we're, we're both doing this. I'm, I'm writing on a whole bunch of games right now. You're working on a whole bunch of games. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see what you're going to be making in the future. Mm-hmm. And I hope we can meet in person. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm at sure some at some point it'll happen. <laughs> at some point. <laughs> at some point. It, it, it's going to be dope. Yeah. But thank you so much for coming on to Asians Represent. Thank you so much for having me. This was, I really enjoyed recording this with you guys. Yeah, Let's do it same. again in the future. Yes, yeah. maybe live. Maybe live. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Cleo for joining us for this episode of Asians Represent, and thank you, listener, for tuning in. Asians Represent is part of the One Shot Podcast Network. If you head to oneshotpodcast.com, you can listen to a variety of amazing podcasts like The Broadswords, an all-women actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast focusing on roleplay, narrative, and diversity at the gaming table. If you have questions about this episode's theme, the games discussed, or anything else related to Asians Represent, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at A-Z-N-S Represent, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash A-Z-N-S Represent, or at A-Z-N-S Represent at OneShotPodcast.com. I'm Daniel, and you've just listened to Asians Represent. Asians Represent.